Hey sports fans, this is Jeff Kane, the voice of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on CLNS Radio. I've got a question for you. Are you tired of spending a fortune on tickets and feeling like you got ripped off? Well, we have you covered over here at TickIQ.com for all your ticketing needs. TickIQ, T-I-Q-I-Q, is a leading ticket aggregator providing fans a one-stop shop to browse the best deals from all ticket sites so you don't have to worry about finding the best seats for the game or concert. Get your tickets for the Patriots all season long. TickIQ.com, where you will find the best prices in the market. Use the promo code CLNS for 5% off your IQ certified or TNT tickets listing at TickIQ. That's TIQIQ.com. Patriots Nation, and welcome once again to CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Radio Network. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me as always is Bobby Kravitsky at Bobby underscore K91, also on the Twitter. We can't wait to hear from everyone on the Patriots postgame show after every single Patriots game. Go to www.blogtalkradio.com slash Patriots postgame. And that'll bring you right to the post-game show. But this is Patriots Beat, and we're here to talk a little bit about the Patriots as they get ready for their second preseason game against the New Orleans Saints. Joint practices this week with the Saints. We'll talk a little bit about the ongoing deflate gate issues uh, with Tom Brady and the NFL. Of course, uh, this week uh, marked the second meeting for lawyers and the NFL. So without further ado, I'll bring in Bobby Kavitsky. What's going on, Jeff? Listeners at home, thanks for tuning in, as always. And Jeff, you know, for a while we had to keep saying on the show we'd lead with, and we're getting closer, and we're getting closer. And now we've got a preseason game in the books, joint practices going on with the Saints. Football is finally here. I love that we're talking about the X's and O's, the stuff going on on the field. And, of course, we're still talking a little bit about Deflategate, but not as much about the shenanigans anymore. It's more talking business. Yeah, it's more talking business now. And let's just get it out of the way, Bobby, because on Wednesday, the NFLPA lawyers and the NFL met again. And Judge Berman again crucified the NFL for everything that they've done. Uh, Jeffrey Kessler looks to be strutting his stuff. Although, how much do you read into the fact that Berman came out and said, don't look at what I'm saying as which way I'm leaning. He seems to be really making a case for the NFLPA, but how much of it is just posturing and how much of it is playing devil's advocate? And that's something we truly won't know, I guess, until a ruling is made. And we know that this is a judge who specializes in getting both parties to settle, to come to an agreement. Now, the problem in this particular instance is the fact that it would behoove both parties, especially 
Goodell and the NFL to just lose rather than come to a settlement. Now that is a slippery slope. There's you know some repercussions come that could potentially come Goodell's way as a result of that. But at least he could go back to the owners and say, "Listen, this wasn't my fault. You know, I tried, and it just didn't go my way." And you know, he can appease his bosses and the people that you know he works for that way with Brady. If there is no settlement, then no one can say, well, yeah, he claims that, you know, he only took a game, let's say, hypothetically, because of lack of cooperation. But we're not buying that. We still think that he had something to do with the balls being deflated. So for both parties, it might serve them better to just flat out lose rather than come to some sort of middle ground. But that's, of course, not what Judge Berman wants to see happen. No, exactly. And Adam Schefter came out today saying that uh, Tom Brady would accept one game uh, as long as it was for non-cooperation. I, I, as much as I respect Adam Schefter, I, I normally look at Schefter and I say, all right, yeah, whatever Schefter says goes, he's usually right all the time. Uh, that's fed to him by an NFL source. And I think that right there is basically uh, NFL rhetoric sitting out there and, and trying to play that PR game by putting out there that Brady would settle. I can't imagine Tom Brady settling on this. You're right. It's it's better out to out and out lose than to admit you're wrong or admit you're, you're wrong. I'm looking at it more and more, and everything to me points to the NFL absolutely did a bad job on this. I've said it since the beginning. I don't think that there was any uh, foul play on the Patriots, the Wells Report, that is the biggest joke of $5 million. That's like the government paying $5 million for a toilet seat. Uh, it's just ridiculous, uh, the Wells report. So many holes put, uh, put in it. It's just, it, it, it's it's bad. And, I mean, Berman went out and he went after Wells. Then he went after Jeffrey Pash. My question is next, I want to see Ginger Boy Roger Goodell. I want to see him go after him. Yeah, absolutely. And, Jeff, I'll tell you, not even just this case, really the last year, year and a half, has exposed how the NFL, how things are run over on Park Street, and it's not good. It's certainly they have taken a huge hit in terms of how they are viewed by the general public. And if they are to lose again, it's another major hit. Now, I will caution you brought up the Adam Schefter report, and usually his word is golden, and you can take it to the bank. But on this particular instance, Jeff Howe, among other reporters, are saying that was never the case. Brady was never willing to accept the suspension based on lack of cooperation. And given how today's proceedings played out, I think Brady might be content. You know, it's funny that Berman tried to tried to steer things in a direction towards a settlement once again today, but Brady and Kessler might have looked at today's events and said, you know what, why would we even accept a fine or any type of agreement with the NFL? We like the way this is going. Let's just see what Berman makes as a ruling come hopefully September 4th. You know, we'll see when he actually does. He said he's going to try his best to, but that is, of course, a tight deadline to work with. Uh, Brady and Goodell both have to be in court on August 31st. Hopefully something will become of it that day so the Patriots can start uh, formulating their game plan to the uh, season opener, which happens September 10th. Lots of things going on back and forth. Uh, there was a, 
a report on on Tuesday night from Mike Gazer uh, at Mike Gazer. That's G A S I O R. And, and it's funny how yes, he's got over a hundred thousand followers, and but it's funny how a guy who hardly ever tweets about football comes out and said he just heard that the NFL and Tom Brady agreed to no games, no omission and guilt, and fifty k fine for not uh, cooperating. Announcement in court tomorrow. Well, Mike, that didn't happen. And then it's just funny because 24 hours later, he's tweeting out, uh, 24 hours later, the media began to agree with me. Well, I think we all agree that it's going to this. But you said that in the in the court, they'd have an announcement. This is some idiot trying to get, uh, you know, his, his 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, he's got 100,000 followers on Twitter. Big freaking deal. He does freaking self-help sem- seminars. Screw you, Mike Gazer. Yeah, I think this was poorly thought out because... He's got to realize that everyone who followed him just because of this is now going to unfollow him. You know, he got his 15 minutes of fame, but that's up now. So hopefully for his sake, it brought him some more attention towards his business and, you know, drove revenue up. But as, you know, I think everyone realized as soon as they checked to see his bio and see if he had any credibility and there wasn't much there that this was just a guy similar to some of those 12-year-olds around the MLB trade deadline who were tweeting out that they got sources and they got the inside scoop on these moves, that this was just a guy throwing something against the wall. Exactly. And my favorite thing, uh, you know, I I follow all the NFL reporters, uh, and and Rap Sheet, uh, Ian Rappaport, uh, came out and said, per two sources, uh, informed of Tom Brady's thinking, his stance hasn't changed, not willing to accept any suspensions and settlements at this point. And this freaking troll comes out and says, basically what I reported 18 hours ago. That is not what you reported 18 hours ago. 18 hours ago, you said that a deal was done and it was going to be announced in court. You're guessing, idiot. You're guessing. Trying to get you 15 minutes of freaking fame. You know what? Screw this. Let's, let's, let's move on to football. Let's move on to talking about the Patriots. Let's move on to talking about the Saints. Let's move on to talking a little bit about the Packers last week because I'm about done with this. Yeah, amen. Time to talk to the X's and O's, get down to the nitty-gritty. I love it, Jeff. And, you know, one of the things that stood out to me in the Green Bay preseason game was just how versatile the defensive linemen the Patriots have brought in are. We've talked about the transition that's gone on here from – the 3-4 and having the big uglies up front, the Kyle Loves and Brandon Dedricks of the world. So now you have players like Trey Flowers, who prior to getting injured and leaving the game, really impressed me with his length, oh, yeah. his jump off the line. You know, I thought Malcolm Brown looked strong anchoring the middle of the interior when he was in there. A lot of these guys, obviously Malcolm Brown doesn't fit the description similar to Trey Flowers and Geno Grissom, but a lot of these guys now can play inside and outside, which is a very nice luxury for the Patriots to have. Yeah, and last year's first-round draft pick, Dominic easily showed up a little bit as well. Uh, I was very impressed with uh, his play, um, and I was impressed with the play of the cornerbacks, too. I mean, they had some coverage sacks. Uh, Malcolm Butler, even though he uh, got beat up a little bit on Wednesday afternoon in uh, the joint practices with the Saints, he played pretty strong out there. Uh, and, and give some uh, kudos to 7th-round uh, pick uh, Dow Roberts, who uh, 
had a tough assignment going up against Jordy Nelson, held his own second-round pick, uh, Jordan Richards, also showing up not only as a strong safety, but playing a little free safety as well. Yeah, Jordan Richards, who was a bit of a head-scratcher when the Patriots used a second-round pick on him, he's had a strong training camp and, like you said, showed off his versatility in that first preseason game against Green Bay. So that was nice to see. Dale Roberts played well. With Malcolm Butler, what's interesting is that Aaron Rodgers targeted him repeatedly, and he held his own, especially in the red zone. And then, again, you brought up the the first joint session against New Orleans, and Drew Brees, again, goes at him repeatedly. So it's interesting to see that. Of course, he struggled against Breeze and against the Saints in that first joint session. But it is noticeable that these premier prominent quarterbacks are testing out the Patriots' new left corner. Exactly. And I have no doubt that he's going to step up. Now, is he going to be the next Darrell Revis? No, I don't think he's going to be the next Darrell Revis, at least not right now. But is he going to be as good as they've had in the past? I think he's a step above every cornerback that they've had uh, since they let Asante Samuel go, you know, the Lee Bottoms of the world, um, you know, the De, uh, Devin McCourty, because I, I enjoy Devin McCourty's playing. In fact, I, I like, we'll talk about McCourty in a couple minutes, but I think he can be just as good as, as some of the other cornerbacks that they've had out there. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Malcolm Butler here. I'm wondering what's going to happen at that right cornerback position, um, you know, whether it's going to go to a guy like Terrell Brown whether it's going to go to a Darrell Roberts. Uh, can we see something out of Logan Ryan, who had a who had an up-and-down game against uh, the Green Bay Packers, or is it going to go to one of these other guys like uh, Rolando McLean or, uh, or Bradley Fletcher? Yeah, it's a very interesting competition over at right corner with Butler seemingly at present time having locked down that left corner spot, and I don't see that changing by the time opening night rolls around. But that right corner spot, you mentioned the guys who are competing for it, the one who I'm putting my money on is Terrell Brown. I think he's really impressed them. He's got more of a track record than most of the names on that list competing for the right corner spot. He's versatile enough to play outside the numbers or in the slot. And it really just it was a question with him of being healthy and trusting that you know he's going to hold up, his foot's going to be okay. And he seems to have gotten past the mental hurdles that come with an injury and He's looked good in training camp so far. I'm excited. You know, I'd like to see a bit more of him in the preseason, and uh, hopefully he's ready to go come week one. Uh, we'll see what happens come week one because he is coming off that foot injury. Uh, but, yeah, I'm expecting some good things out of Brown. He was a very good cornerback uh, playing for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, he played in the Super Bowl. Uh, this is a guy that was part of that uh, defensive backfield in that front seven uh, that really attacked for San Francisco. I'm looking forward to see how he uh, – he goes now. A guy that was brought back this year, and uh, you know our good friend Patrick Shankauer did a little dance in uh, Foxborough Stadium or Gillette Stadium uh, when Darrell, uh, Darrell, uh, Devin McCourty was re-signed by the New England Patriots. He was paid big money, and we have seen him the last couple days in practice, uh, practicing all over the field, also at safety and cornerback. Uh, versatility there for Devin McCourty. Yeah, and you've got to wonder the Patriots have experimented a bit in the preseason, including against New Orleans with a 3-3-5. You've got to wonder if we'll actually see that or not in the regular season. They value Deron Harmon's coverage ability. They want to get him 
out on the field, and it potentially, potentially could be more than just rotating in for McCourty or Chung. We might see all three of them out there together at times during the regular season, and that certainly would be interesting. So that's another thing that you'd like to see if you're a Patriots fan, and if you're the Patriots, of course, in the preseason, you'd like to see how it plays out before just throwing it out there in the regular season. Oh, exactly. And it harkens me back to when Rodney Harrison was here and they used to play that that big nickel by having three safeties on the field. Now, Deb McCourty made his bones in college and coming into the NFL as a cornerback. So they can also, you know, basically have three safeties on the field. And I like what I see out of these safeties. I like what I saw last year out of Jerron Harmon, uh, not only in the regular season, but then into the playoffs where you had that interception of Joe Flacco. Uh, that helped almost seal the deal against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, I, I like what Harmon can do. Patrick Chung, in his second go-around with the New England Patriots, he played very well last year. And then, of course, you have Tavon Wilson, who's, who's you know, hasn't shown huge flashes in his career, but having a solid camp. And his rookie year before Aqib Tlaib uh, was traded for, and he was starting, he had four interceptions. So they have a lot of uh, movable parts at safety, and we mentioned second-round pick Jordan Richards, who's had a very good camp. So you look at the safety position with the wild card being Devin McCourty and his flexibility in and out of the uh, rotation here, um, whether it be at cornerback or at safety. They can do a lot of things and a lot of dis- disguising with this defensive backfield. And we know Bill Belichick loves versatility, and he has that all over the field. Absolutely. We talked about it with the defensive line. Now we talk about it with the secondary and really the key to that is Deron Harmon's ability to come and play center field so that they can move McCourty around. It's going to be very interesting to see how frequently and what type of situations those two are on the field together. Definitely. And uh, one of the other things that I want to talk about is the linebackers. Now uh, on Wednesday, Donta Hightower removed the non-contact red jersey and he's in full participation now in team drills. This is huge news. Uh, Dante Hightower came along huge last year uh, towards the end of the year and into the, into the Super Bowl. Uh, his touchdown-saving tackle helped, helped win the uh, Super Bowl, the play before uh, Malcolm Butler picked it off. Now you have him back. You have Jamie Collins, who made a, a hellacious tackle on Eddie Lacy uh, at the goal line. And Gerard Mayo coming back after two years of being injured. I'm excited about this, um, you know, the, this linebacking crew and the fact that, again, versatility. We saw on uh, Thursday night with the Patriots, Rob Nikovich starting at linebacker. You have Jabal Sheard, uh, who played very well in his first game, who can play with his hand in the dirt or standing up. So lots of good things can happen with these linebackers. Oh, absolutely. And the three starters... Collins, Hightower, and Mayo can be moved around, of course. And really, the key there is health. So that's why it's so important for the Patriots that Dante Hightower seems to be progressing towards playing in week one. That's my expectation as of right now. Seems like there's a realistic possibility, like a strong possibility of that happening. Huge news for the Patriots because while they do have players that intrigue behind those three with the likes of Jonathan Freeney, James Morris. We haven't seen much of Dane Fletcher yet, but he's a guy that they brought back. You mentioned those versatile players who 
We might see more on the line, but Ken dropped back. The Sheards, the Geno Grissoms, Ninkovich, of course. But really, it's pretty important for the Patriots that all three of their starting linebackers stay healthy throughout the season, especially the one who they can't replace is Jamie Collins. Oh, Jamie Collins is the key to this defense. You know, this was a guy who was drafted a couple years ago out of Southern Miss, a guy who played defensive end, who played linebacker, who played safety. He played on all three levels of the defense. We've seen his maturation process. We've seen him come from, uh, you know, a rookie who played in about 35% of the snaps to a guy that really makes a difference out there on the field. He can rush. He can cover. I love Jamie Collins, and he is the type of jack-of-all-trades that can really master this defense. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a Willie McGinnis, only with a little better coverage ability. Yeah, that, I like that comparison because we know Collins is also a skilled blitzer, though he rarely does that and possibly may be blitzing even less frequently this season just because his coverage skills are so valuable. I almost liken him to, and you know, this is almost splitting hairs because you said McGinnis, but I almost liken him to a much more athletic version of Mike Vrabel, one who stands out more in coverage than getting after the quarterback, although, of course, he can do that too. Oh, exactly. He definitely he definitely can do that. So lots of things to be excited about as this defense uh, moves on. And the thing that, that I loved about this defense was the fact they held them a couple times on fourth down. The Packers moved the ball. Um, you know, if it wasn't for a, a, a penalty on Rob Nikovich, uh, they they get a three and on on that first drive. The Packers did move the ball, but when it got in tight, they played extremely well, and the Packers only got three points out of that. It wasn't until, uh, you know, the second team and third team players were in that the Packers started to score their points. Uh, you know, it was a, it was 11 to 10 uh, at halftime. It, it, that's going to be odd scores, I think, this year with the new uh, PAT rule. And if the Patriots are playing softer coverages this season than last year, then their ability to stop teams in the red zone, like they did multiple times to Green Bay in that first preseason game, becomes even more important because it's going to be tested more frequently, or at least it figures to be, as they play more of a conservative defense. Hey, football fans, this is Jeff Kane, the voice of the Patriots Beat Podcast, here on CLS Radio. And the moment you've all been waiting for is almost here because football is just around the corner. And you could start the season by winning $2 million in week one at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's like a brand new season every time you play. Just pick your players, pile up the points, pick up the cash, that's it. Why wait until the end of the season to get paid when you can win huge prizes every week? You can get started playing right now. Prepare the regular season with preseason contests running through August. You've already been scouting players for your season-long fantasy team. Put that knowledge to the test every week this football season at DraftKings.com, where you could turn your love of football into lifetime cash. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code NEWENGLAND to play for free for a shot at $2 million in Week 1 Millionaire Maker. Enter New England for the free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Now that, of course, is DraftKings. Uh, and go to DraftKings.com and type the promo code New England. Get yourself in to try to become a millionaire when football season starts. I tell you, Bobby, uh, I'm dropping out a lot of my uh, everyday 
fantasy football leagues this year. I've been in three or four every single season. I got one this year, and the rest of the time I'm going to, uh, you know, a DraftKings and going to be, you know, doing that one-day fantasy football, trying to make myself a million and, you know, retire. You know, you just you can't beat the convenience of DraftKings. And when you talk about one of, and just one of the reasons that football is king is because it's only once a week. It's on Sundays, you know, Monday nights and everything too. But really, the primary day for NFL football is, of course, Sundays, as we all know. So it's not too demanding. It doesn't ask too much of the consumer. And DraftKings is the same way. And that's one of the reasons that I feel if you're going to do a fantasy league, and it doesn't matter the sport, but of course we're talking football on this show, DraftKings is the way to go. There you go. Hey, now this is the other thing. You know, we've been talking about the defense so much. We haven't had a chance really to talk about the offense. And before we really get into it, um, the Patriots made a trade, a player-for-player player trade. They did what I've wanted them to do forever. They got rid of Jordan Devy. Oh, my. They got rid of him. Jeff, they could have traded Jordan Devy for a bag of footballs, and I would have felt like they won the deal. Inflated or deflated? Yeah, you know, no. maybe just some gauges. <laughs> but. but, yeah, Asante Cleveland coming back to the New England Patriots, member of the U, University of Miami Hurricanes. Um, you know, this guy, nothing great. You know, camp body right now, but maybe he sticks. Maybe he comes that blocking uh, – uh, fullback uh, tight end there. Maybe he can catch a couple passes. Caught three passes for 10 yards uh, in the preseason opener for the C uh, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, so, hey, he can catch the ball. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, he's played six games last season for the Niners. He's got special teams experience. Good size at 6'5", 260. Special teams? Yeah. Oh, he's he's making the team. He's got special teams? <laughs> yeah, right he, there. He, Why do you think Belichick traded for him? <laughs> Jordan Devy and the offensive line struggled. They were, as Joe Namath would say, struggling um, about protecting the passer. And, and, and seven sacks given up uh, to Jimmy Garoppolo. A lot of that uh, is the offensive line. Some of it is, uh, you know, Garoppolo holding the ball too long. But Jordan Devy did not look good, um, you know, in the uh, first preseason game. And he didn't really look good at all last year either. Well, Jeff, there's a reason for that. With all due respect to Jordan Devy, who I'm sure is a very nice guy, he's not and a an good avid listener player. of Patriots Beat. That's just the reality. Jordan, if you're listening, I apologize, but the truth of the matter is you're just not a very good football player. And that's the reason that Jeff and I and so many of our listeners and Patriots fans out there are happy to see you go. Because you suck. <laughs> No, I mean, how can you make fun of a guy who plays in the NFL, you know? Uh, he made it. He played in a couple games. It's more than I could say for. But, yeah, he uh, he did not look good. Um, but, oh, well. Offensive line didn't look good all the way around. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that who the hell were you starting? I mean, you had Dave Andrews, who I really think is going to make this team, uh, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Georgia. I think he's making this team. Um, you had him starting at center. You had the two rookies in Shaq Mason and uh, Trey Jackson starting. Uh, Mason made a, a very nice block, but he's uh, on that 55-yard touchdown run by Jonas Gray. Struggled in the passing game. Uh, Trey Jackson looked to be the best offensive uh, lineman on the field. And, and 
really, you had Jordan Devy at, at one tackle, and the other tackle was uh, second-year player uh, Fleming. So, really, they had no one there that's that's has any NFL experience. So, going up against a good defense like uh, Green Bay, is that, that, that's to be expected. Yeah, you had Chris Barker playing out of position. He's more of a guard. He was playing tackle. You had the three rookies who, regardless of how NFL-ready you think Trey Jackson is, is still his first NFL game. So there's certainly an adjusting period that comes over the course of that game and over the course of training camp, the preseason, the whole regular season, everything. But in particularly, that first game in your NFL career, the speed of the game and some of the nuances, it really hits you right in the face. And you, know, you could see that was the case with Jackson at times. Certainly a fine outing for him, a fine debut. Shaq Mason, you knew going in, coming from the triple option offense at Georgia Tech, that he should be okay in the running game. That was the hope, and he was. But that the passing game, there were going to be some struggles, and that was evident. David Andrews, I'm with you. I think he's going to end up making this team, partially because the Patriots might be scared to lose him if they try to sneak him through to the practice squad. But, you know, he had some struggles as well. And struggling. Yeah, exactly. And you talk about those seven sacks that Garoppolo took. Well, according to Michael Giardi, these are the times from snap to contact on those seven snacks. We've got 216, 239, 353, 205, 234, 252, and 222. With the exception of 353, those are fairly quick times and not giving Garoppolo much of a chance to make a play. So you can see how, you know, not that it was solely on one side or the other, but that the offensive line did have a lot to do with those seven sacks. Now, before we get over to the skill positions, uh, one little note here. Trey Jackson was carted off the field earlier in the week. Um, A big scare for New England Patriots and their fans. Uh, Just a little heat exhaustion, which, you know, you're not going to sit there and say that's, that's something not to worry about. Uh, but the fact that he's back playing in practicing, that's good because he looked pretty good at certain times, uh, and he's built a lot of momentum. He's the most NFL-ready guard that they've uh, they've got right now. Yeah, certainly. You know, when you look at the fact that Wendell may start the season on the pup, I particularly don't think that Josh Klein is going to make this roster, but we'll see how that plays out. So Trey Jackson, by all accounts, seems like you're starting right guard you know, right from the get-go, right from that opener against the Steelers, I think Trey Jackson's your starting right guard. So the fact that he didn't even miss a practice because of this was a very encouraging sign. And, of course, as soon as you heard that this was more of a heat-related cramping issue, huge exhale from Patriots Nation. Exactly. All right, let's switch over to the side of the ball that everyone likes to talk about, the skill position players. Josh Boyce, tough night for Josh Boyce. Two catches on 11 targets. Had that drop uh, at the very beginning of the game on Tom Brady's second throw. Um, He had some issues getting separation. This was a guy that I was looking at going into this game with Danny Danny Amendola getting the start. But Julian Edelman not playing and Aaron Dobson being down with that hamstring issue. This is a guy I'm like, all right, he's made some plays in practice. Let's see him get out there and do something in a game and again just cannot move forward and make plays in a game setting. This has been his issue in his first two years in the league. And it was pretty evident to most people that 
Garoppolo finally started having success when he stopped targeting Josh Boyce as frequently. I forget the numbers now, but he only connected on a small percentage of throws. I believe it was just two completions to Josh Boyce on the night in that first preseason game against Green Bay. Jeff, one of my frustrations is that you have a guy who, yeah, he's got speed, but he's built like, especially in terms of size, a slot receiver, and they continue to trot him out and try to make him into a deep threat. And I'm okay with that every once in a while, but that shouldn't be the majority of what he's doing when he's on the field. I would like to see him operate, especially in preseason games, much more in the slot. That's where I'd like to see him develop. So maybe he turns things around. He did have a nice day in that first joint practice against the Saints, including a 55-yard diving catch. So maybe he's able to turn things around and earn a spot on the practice squad, but I don't see a place for him on the 53-man roster. At this point, I don't either, um, unless uh, Brandon LaFell stays on the pop list, which I don't expect to happen. They try, and that's the one thing that frustrated me a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, it was towards the second half where he started to check down and hit his underneath receivers, and that's when, you know, at one point he completed nine passes in a row. Uh, last year, you know, everyone talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, and he, and he became a uh, you know, a, a darling of many Patriots fans because he threw the deep ball and and he hit Brian Timms on a lot of touchdown passes. And, you know, I don't know what makes, you know, people so horny about the deep ball. You know, we, we've won four Super Bowls by digging and dunking down the field. Uh, the y- year that we had the deep ball, we lost. You know, I mean, the deep ball, you know, it's that it's that Cadillac symbol on on the front of the truck, you know, in front of the car. You know, people like sit there and it's that shiny Cadillac symbol but the deep ball, you know, name me a deep wide receiver who's who's won a Super Bowl. You know, the the deep ball doesn't you need ball possession offense. I I preach the running game, but you also need that short passing game. The Patriots do not win the Super Bowl last year without precision short passing, uh, and and that's what they did. So yeah, I agree with you. I want to see Josh Boyce, you know, working uh, the in intermediate passes, working those zig routes, working those slants across the field instead of, you know, taking off down the field. And I want to see Jimmy Garoppolo, if, you know, he has to start the first four games of the season or even one game this season, I don't want to see him trying to take the top off the ball. Listen, Jimmy, you didn't play with a playbook in college. It's time to learn this playbook and learn the nuances of this offense. Yes, you have different skills than Tom Brady, but still you can't change the entire offense for one player. And I don't think they are trying to do that. You know, what they did with Brady early in his career and what they seem to be doing with Garoppolo is try and tailor the playbook and the calling to his strengths. You know, I'm a firm believer in balance. So one of those, you know, components added to the Patriots offense that ironically talk about the Super Bowl they lost, that they've been lacking since they lost Randy Moss was a threat at that ex-receiver position. They bring in Brandon LaFell. He clicks with Brady, gives them that dynamic of a threat outside the numbers. You know, he's not too much of a deep threat, but his ability to be effective at the intermediate level and then get so many yards after the catch was huge for this Patriots. It brought a new dynamic to this offense, of course, coupled with Gronk being healthy. And then right towards the end of the season, going into the playoffs, Amendola seems to get healthy and hits his stride. So that's my belief is balance, and I think with Garoppolo, they're trying to handle it 
similarly to how they did Brady at the beginning. Of course, one is making a much larger jump for Garoppolo. This is a quantum leap to go from one double A to the NFL. Brady was at Michigan. So there's a lot more for Garoppolo to learn. It's going to take longer for him to transition and adjust. But I don't think they're trying to you know, make things more complex for Garoppolo or just focus on the dynamic of becoming more of a deep threat quarterback. I think they are looking to just utilize his mobility and bring some versatility, all while keeping things fairly comfortable and trying to get the ball out of his hands as quick as possible. I can agree with you there. And, you know, I'm not going to dump on Garoppolo too big because let's look at who he had out there with him. I mean, we talked about the offensive line already. Did not have Rob Gronkowski. Did not have, uh, you know, Scott Chandler. Those are two guys that are going to play a big role in this offense. Didn't have Julian Edelman. He plays a huge role in this offense. Brandon LaFell, we already talked about. He's on the pop list. So you don't have all these players out there that are going to make plays. So he had to do what he had to do. One of the guys that I, I thought had a decent game uh, was Brandon Gibson. Uh, you know, number 13 in your playbooks. Maybe he'll be uh, number one in your heart someday. But I like how he played. He seemed to know where to be, especially on that one drive where Brady kind of threw the ball. His first catch was for a first down. He played pretty well. The numbers at the end of the game, four catches, 29 yards, not huge. But this is a guy who has experience in the Josh McDaniels offense and has over 200 catches in his career. This is a guy who can make plays on this team. Gibson is one of those players who we talked about him on the last podcast when we brought up the receiver position. He's someone who is going to get fans' attention during the preseason because he's a veteran. He's probably going to play well during these four games or however many of them he participates in. He's coming off an injury, but by all accounts, looks healthy, looks good to go. He's a versatile receiver, like you said, has a relationship with Josh McDaniels. So he's got some comfort level with the offense. And, you know, he looks good. I completely agree with your assessment of how he looked against Green Bay. I expect that to continue throughout the preseason. We'll see if it's enough to make this roster because, Jeff, your man crush, Aaron Dobson, it's probably one or the other, and I'm leaning Dobson. I wonder about that if it is one or the other because I could see the Patriots keeping both of them. I could see them keeping, you know, Amendola and Edelman and Brandon LaFell pretty much locks. I can see them keeping uh, LaFell, I'm sorry, not LaFell, but Gibson. Of course, I think they're going to keep LaFell, but Gibson and Dobson on this team. The only thing that, that downplays Dobson is the fact that he doesn't play special teams and the fact that he hurt his hamstring. This, this is such a big year for him. And he's not gonna. He's not out there. He's not out there that first game. He is. He hasn't been back, back practicing. I mean, he's back. He's on team drills right now. So that, that's a that's a big thing there. But we'll move forward. We can talk a little bit about the running backs. We talked about them a lot on the CLNS Radio Patriots post game show. Of course, you listen to it live after every single Patriots game by going to www.blogtalk.com/patriotspostgame to listen to the post game show. The running backs, I mean, this this looked good. This looked good. Jonas Gray, uh, you know, looked good, looked the part. He looked the part of a LeGarrette Blount or a Stephen Ridley. And then James White looked the part of a Shane Vereen. Now, he didn't have the as great of a blocking game as I hoped for. But, you know what, he did do all right, and he had a little jitterbug in him. I tell you, my favorite 
aspect of watching James White in pass protection, which is significant in how much of that chunk he's going to get of that third down, that pass catching running back role in general, is the fact that he was a willing blocker. It was never yes. a question, even when he made mistakes, it was never a question of not being willing to stick his nose in there. You know, he was aggressive. I liked, I liked his mentality about it. You know, he has, of course, been asked about it during training camp in the preseason, and he gets it. He understands how important this is towards how much playing time he's going to get. Travaris Cadet, who is his primary competition for that role, I believe both will make the roster. He wasn't out there for that first preseason game, not ready to go just yet. So even more of an opportunity for James White. I thought overall it was a good game for him. Yeah, I thought he had a, a, a very good game. I mean, now the rushing yards weren't there, but they never were really there for uh, Shane Vereen. That's one thing that we've missed since Danny Woodhead was here is uh, a, a between-the-tackles scatback. You know, Woodhead could do it. I mean, James White, you know, he didn't have the best rushing stats on the night. And that's that's unfortunate because I, I looked to him. I mean, eight carries for 12 yards. He had a long of seven. So so that tells you that his other seven carries went for five yards. Not great. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And, and this kid can do some really good things. I'm excited to see him moving forward. I'm excited to see all these running backs. I'm, you know, I'm telling you right now, there is a lot of good talent on this team, offensively and defensively. There are going to be some guys that get cut that we're going to go, oh, man. Yeah, and that's what you want to see. That's the sign of a quality 53-man roster, especially when guys you are letting go of are getting picked up by other teams around the league. And that happened to two guys the Patriots let go of recently in a linebacker, LJ Fort and a tight end, Logan Stokes, both getting claimed fairly quickly. So, you know, it's more it's more of something you want to evaluate when you get down to making the 53-man roster and the guys who are close to that. You want to see if they get picked up or if the rest of the league doesn't touch them. But it is interesting, and read into what you want, the fact that two guys the Patriots get rid of are picked up quickly. Interesting to see that. And, you know, you talk about... Jonas Gray and everyone involved in that running back battle, each one of them brings their own set of strength to the position. They could take a lot of running backs, could be as many as six potentially. It's going to be interesting to see how they divide up reps come the regular season, how they split the load. Jonas Gray talked about losing weight in the offseason to become a little bit quicker. He was already he quicker up. than LeGarrette Blount. We saw that firsthand in that second game against the Miami Dolphins, where he was a huge part of that offensive surge in the second half, a lot of that had to do with him being quicker and more athletic than LeGarrette Blount, allowed him to be more effective in that game. Now he loses more weight. You see the results firsthand on that 55-yard touchdown run. So an encouraging start for Jonas Gray here. Siri, set alarm for 6 a.m. <laughs> A backup one as well. You might want to go 6.05 and 6.10 just to be safe. Your alarm is set for 6 a.m. See, Jonas, that's all you have to do. And then plug it in. Keep it charged overnight. <laughs> I highly recommend the iPhone 6 with the uh, life-proof case, uh, the free power. It charges your phone for you, Jonas. That's what you need to do, my friend. We want to see you 
cracked the thousand yard barrier this year. But <laughs> oh man, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do there, right? I would. Uh, I think that he's got one by now. We let's hope so. You know, I, I, Tom Brady just got an iPhone six. Uh, you know, when he destroyed his his Samsung. So you know, maybe he can get an endorsement for uh, my man Jonas. Bought you know, bought, bought <laughs> Sam Pericolo. Uh, loves himself some Jonas Gray, so hopefully things will uh, get better on that. Yeah, me and Sam are the two Jonas Gray enthusiasts in the message board group between the Patriots Beat division writers and hosts, and, you know, both of us believe that Jonas Gray, the LeGarrette Blount will, of course, be the lead back for the team this season, but Jonas Gray, I think he's going to have a good season. I really believe that he's more than just a one-hit wonder. I, I agree with you. I, I think he is going to have a good season. And I think every one of these backs uh, that make the team, LeGarrette Blount, who, of course, is um, you know out for that first game, he makes the team. You know, Brandon Bolden's going to make this team because he can play special teams. Uh, you, James White's going to make this team. Uh, Jonas Gray's going to make this team. That's four running backs right there. Then you add a fifth in uh, Cadet, who I think can make this team as well. Uh, there's a lot of things here that, that can definitely happen. And, and, and of course... Uh, you know, Devlin too, James Devlin. Um, you know, it's just he's a fullback, but Belichick has come out and said he's one of the best players on the team. Yeah, he's you know Brady last training camp said this is the best fullback in the NFL. Now, of course, that's Brady sticking up for his guy there. But the bottom line is Devlin has been reliable and consistent for ball. this team exactly. So you know, he's a smart player coming from the Ivy League. He can play fullback, sometimes can line up at tight end, even though he's undersized for the position. So they'll even give him an opportunity every now and then when they get down to the goal line. He's certainly proven to be a versatile and productive player for the Patriots. Now we've got a couple more days until the next Patriots game, Bobby, but they take on the New Orleans Saints on Saturday uh, in New Orleans. Got another day of joint practices on uh, Thursday. What are you looking forward to as much with this joint practices um, as we've seen? They, they had their first one we record on Wednesday nights. We'll release this on a Thursday morning. So you'll be hearing this after the Wednesday practices, uh, and, and maybe you'll listen to it after the Thursday practices. But joint practices seem to be all the rage now in the NFL, and this is something that Belichick has done for a couple of years. It's interesting you use the word rage. Because what seems to be happening in a lot of these joint practices is a lot of fights. You look at what happened between Dallas and St. Louis with just a huge brawl filled with cheap shots. Two uh, classless, 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 uh, you know, teams. Yeah, so it really depends on what you get out of it. That's why a lot of people say they prefer joint practices to preseason games. Well, for me, it's all about context. You know, when you have a practice, like what Dallas and St. Louis had recently, that's not what you're looking for. They, you know, when it comes to that, I'll take a quality preseason game over that any day of the week. But the Patriots and Saints, so far, it seems to be an amicable, an amicable relationship. It seems to be that they both understand, especially that their practices are happening on the heels of all these fights going on around the league with teams having joint practices, that... That's not why they're there. That's not why they're getting together. It's about making each team better. It's about getting different looks and everything that comes with it. So, so far it's been productive. So far all the extracurriculars have been held in check. And what I look for is 
Jimmy Garoppolo, how is his progression going to be throughout camp, now going up in joint practices against another team, and then, of course, the preseason game itself where he figures to get the lion's share of the snaps. That defensive versatility, especially in the line, how's that going to play out? In the secondary, how are guys going to line up? What types of formations and coverages are they going to be in? You know, playing time is another key area to monitor. There's, there's a lot to look for when it comes to preseason. And one of the biggest things, if you're keeping track at home, is really just individual player evaluation. You know, there's plenty of guys who all you got to do is hop on Twitter and you can see who stood out. You can confirm your own opinions and whatnot. So start with the, start with the whole team picture and then break it down to the individuals and see who excelled and who didn't. Yeah, now going back a little bit how you were talking about the fights that have broken out uh, in NFL training camp joint practices this year, one thing you really got to admire about the fact of Bill Belichick and Sean Payton, they, they don't allow it. Last year or two years ago, Aaron Dobson uh, and uh, I can't remember the player from the Philadelphia Eagles there, but he's a loudmouth. Used to Kerry Williams, Williams used to used to play with the Ravens. You know, one of them Ravens loudmouths. Uh, you know, got into a, a shoving match, and, and Dobson was kicked right off the field. You know, they they don't look for that. And one of the things coming out of Wednesday's practice notes is the fact that the Patriots' uh, offensive line or the Patriots' defensive line and the Saints' offensive line. Shaking hands, you know, after some good one-on-one things. That's the stuff you want to see. These are guys, they want to get out there. It's great seeing uh, joint practices because you're not hitting the same guys. You're not hitting your teammates all the time. But you want to see these guys who have respect for each other, who have respect, um, you know, for the game. You know, this is why I think that the Saints and the Patriots are two of the class organizations in the thing because they, and the Patriots haters will say, oh, they, they cheat. They do things right. You know, they, they, they prepare right. And and both Belichick and uh, – I just lost the uh, – Sean Payton. Thank you. Sean Payton come from the uh, – uh, come from the um, Bill Parcells tree. So, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I mean, they they don't like these fights. Yeah, Malcolm Brown got into a fight uh, earlier this, this – um, this year against uh, the guy they they brought over from the Bears, Groy, Gory, something yeah, like Ryan that. Yeah, Ryan Groy. Yeah, both of them kicked out of practice. That right there shows there's no room for fighting on a football field. Yeah, there's there's no place for it. Belichick's mantra has always been, if you fight, you're out. You hear Dante Hightower being asked about those questions going into the joint practices with the Saints, and he says, look, I'm not here to wrestle. I'm not here to box. We're here to play football. And the Saints get that as well. And these, these are two coaches, two teams that emphasize the details, emphasize getting the most out of practices, especially situations like these. They recognize how valuable they are. Both of them have done joint practices with other teams before, like you said. And with each other. Yeah, they've done it. You know, there's a familiarity there that exists, and that always helps to ease things. And so I certainly expect that the rest of the time together – is going to be without fights. There might be, you know, guys getting under each other's skin and some minor stuff, but nothing remotely close to what we saw with Dallas and St. Louis or some of these other fights that have broken out around the league. Oh, exactly, exactly. I'm looking forward to, as you said, a lot of individual uh, players this week. I want to see how Josh Boyce back, uh, bounces back. I want to see if he can, 
you know, take the stuff that he's done in practice and step forward. I want to see how this offensive line starts to melt. I want to look at these two rookies and see how they do. I want to see how Dave Andrews, uh, you know, Brian Stork is not back in practice yet. I want to see how he continues to develop. He's played a little guard. He's played some center. I want to see how he steps up. I want to see the development more on this defensive line. I'm expecting the starters to play a little more. I'm expecting, I want to see more of that rotation uh, with Jones and Nikovich and Jabal Sheard. I don't think Trey Flowers is going to play uh, this week. It looked like he uh, got a concussion uh, last week, but he was looking really good. He looks like a guy who can has a little bit of staying power. I want to see that sort of stuff. I want to see who lines up opposite of Malcolm Butler. I want to see how Malcolm Butler plays on more than 15 snaps. You know, I want to see him play into the second quarter and see how he does. And I want to see, you know, the maturation of James White, what he can do. I want to see him step up uh, and see what he blocks. A lot of things happening for Saturday night against the New Orleans Saints. Jeff, completely echo those sentiments, 1,000% agree. And that's what I was saying when you start by looking at how the team performs as a whole, and then you go from there and you break it down to individual performances. And it really helps when you have the ability to go back and rewind throughout the game and really, you know, keep an eye on players after play happens. You can rewatch it. Certainly helps to give you an advantage in breaking down the film. And everyone you said, I entirely agree. There's just so many guys, as is the case with every team around the league, who you want to watch. You want to see how they handle getting even more exposure, getting a chance to rebound or progress and build upon what they did in that first preseason game. Very interesting a lot of players to monitor, a lot of different situations to go over. It's always very exciting. It's why we love the preseason, Jeff. Like we said, if this isn't your cup of tea, that's fine. You just turn into Patriots beat every week. We'll give you the breakdown and tell you what you need to know. Oh, exactly. Patriots speak every single week. And, of course, after every single Patriots game, the CLS Radio Patriots postgame show is on. Go to www.blogtalkradio.com dot com slash Patriots post game that'll bring you right to the Patriots post game sh- show of course if you go to blogtalkradio.com you go up on the front where it says networks you'll see the CLNS radio live post game shows and the live radio feed CLNS radio and blog talk radio have uh, jointly got together and we're sitting right up there on that top bar uh, Saturday night after the game make sure you tune in to the Patriots post game show For Bobby Kavitsky, this is Jeff Kane. This has been another Patriots Beat. We appreciate the listens, and we'll see you guys on the flip side. Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.